Abe Lincoln had an Illinois face, and he came out of a pioneer race. He knew how hard the fight would be, but he liked the idea of being free. His heart was tough as a railroad tie. He was made of stuff that doesn't die. He was made of hopes. He was made of fears. He was made to last a million years. This is the Ford Theater, an hour of radio drama presented by the Ford Motor Company makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, and Ford trucks, farm tractors, and motor coaches. Today's play, Robert E. Sherwood's Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Howard Lindsay speaking for the management of the Ford Theater. The management believes that a good radio theater should be, in effect, a theater of ideas, with an adventurous mental climate and a willingness to experiment, to leave the beaten path in search of excitement from time to time. And so the Ford Theater, in its brief history, has given me many opportunities to use that happy phrase for the first time on the air. Today's occasion is, I think, the most important of the sort. For today, we present the first part of a two-hour dramatic biography of Abraham Lincoln by one of America's most notable playwrights, Robert E. Sherwood. Today's drama was, of course, written originally for the stage. Next Sunday's sequel, Abe Lincoln in Washington, was written directly for the Ford Theater by Mr. Sherwood. It marks, I believe, the first time that a playwright of Mr. Sherwood's stature has written a full-hour play primarily for broadcasting. For the first time on the air, then, a complete biography of Abraham Lincoln, whose birthday the nation celebrates on Thursday. Part one, Abe Lincoln in Illinois. Abe Lincoln had an Illinois face, and he came out of a pioneer race. Time, a little more than a century ago. It is evening in a cabin near New Salem, Illinois. There is one rude table piled with books and papers and two chairs. One is occupied by Mentor Graham, the New Salem school teacher. The other by a soft-spoken, attentive student who at 21 should be reading with more assurance than he is at the moment showing. That's not quite it, Abe. Now, I want you to read this. It's from a speech delivered by Mr. Webster in the United States Senate. When... My eyes shall be turned to behold for the last time the sun in heaven. Let their feeble glance behold the glorious ensign of the republic bearing... Don't its read mod- it off as if it were an inventory of Denton off its groceries. Imagine that you're making the speech. Oh, I couldn't use words as long as Daniel Webster. That's what you're here for, Abe, to learn. Now, that was the imperative mood. Uh, let me hear you go on with the potential. Uh... A potential. Uh, that signifies possibility, usually, of an unpleasant nature. Like, um, if I ever get out of debt, I will probably get right back in again. 
Why did you select that example, Abe? Well, it happens to be the thought that's heaviest on my mind, sir. Store in trouble again? Yes, sir. Barry has drunk all the whiskey that we ought to have sold. You haven't been a failure here, Abe. Everyone around here is anxious to help you get ahead. Oh, well, I'm, I know, Mender. Just like you, sitting up late nights to give me learning. Now, uh, Josh Speed and Judge Green and uh, some others that I owe money to, they want to get me the job of postmaster, thinking that uh, maybe I can handle that since there's only one mail in a week. <laughs> what you want to do is get out of New Salem, Abe. Well, my family have always been movers, shifting about, never knowing what they were looking for, and whatever it was, never finding it. I thought about moving, but wherever I go, it'll be the same story. More friends and more debt. Well, Abe, there are two professions open to people who fail at everything else, politics and school teaching. And I'll choose school teaching. You go into politics, you may get elected. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Rutledge Tavern, Mr. Edwards. Come right in. Well, good morning, Anne. Hello, Judge Green. Where's Abe? Oh, he's probably down at the foot races, but he'll be back soon. Anne, this is Ninian Edwards of Springfield. Anne is the daughter of the proprietor, Ninian. How do you do? And, of course, you know Josh Speed. Of course. Hello. Morning, Josh. Sit down, gentlemen. And let me tell you, Anne, that Mr. Edwards is a married man, so you can keep your uh, lively eyes to yourself. Oh! <laughs> Judge Green, you're just joking me. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us a mail, Anne. Right away, Squire. Mud wagons in. Hello, boys. Hello, Abe. Hello, Miss Anne. Hello, Abe. Here's your ale, Squire. And uh, here's a letter for you, too, Anne. Oh, thank you very much, Abe. I'll just have time to read it before setting the table. Uh, this is Mr. Ninian Edwards, Abe, the governor's son. Well, nice of you to come visiting us, Mr. Edwards. I'm greatly pleased to know you, Mr. Lincoln. I uh, brought Mr. Edwards out here from Springfield for the sole purpose of meeting you, Abe. Meeting me, Josh? Yes, and with Mr. Edwards' permission, I shall tell you why. Go right ahead, Josh. Abe, how'd you like to run for the state assembly? He... When? Now, for election in the fall. Why? Mr. Lincoln, you're precisely the type of man we want. The whole Whig organization will support you. Uh, this was uh, all your idea, Josh? Mine and Mr. Edwards and Judge Bowling Greens. Might uh, say you're the people's choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a comical notion, all right, and I uh, don't know if I can give you an answer to it offhand, but uh, my first hasty impression is that I don't think much of it. Don't overlook the fact that your salary would be three whole dollars a day. Oh, well, that's... Uh... Fine money, there's no doubt of that. And uh, I'm remembering I owe you a considerable sum of money, Judge. Oh, I'm not thinking about that, Eve. No, of course you aren't bowling, but I've got to. And uh, so should you, Mr. Edwards. Well, how so, Mr. Lincoln? Well, the Whig Party is the party of sound money, isn't it? Why, yes, among other things. Well, how would it look if you put up a candidate who has already run up a total debt of $1,500? You see, Ninny and Mr. Lincoln was in partnership in general store here with a young man named Barry. Barry drank off all the liquid assets, store went bankrupt, and Abe voluntarily assumed all the obligations. That will explain why we think pretty highly of Abe Lincoln hereabouts. I heartily concur in that sentiment. Well, I uh, thank you one and all for your kind tribute, but... Uh... Don't overdo them, or I'll begin to think that $3 a day ain't enough. <laughs> <laughs> now, Abe, the thing you want to do most is to learn. 
And in the assembly, you'll be associating with the finest lawyers in the state. But how can I tell they'd welcome associating with me? I've seen you handle some of the neighborhood bullies, like Jack Armstrong. It's obvious you know how to deal with men. I can handle Jack Armstrong because I can out-wrassle him, but I can't go around uh, Sangamon County throwing all the voters. We'll take a chance on it, Abe. We'll take a chance. I'd uh, like to talk to you when you finished your chores. All right. Now, customers likely not till supper time. Well, what is it, Abe? Uh, for one thing, about that uh, letter you just got from New York State. What do you know about that letter? I'm the postmaster, and I uh, know more than I ought to about people's private affairs. And I couldn't help seeing that that was the handwriting of Mr. McNeil, and uh, from the look on your face that the bad news you've been afraid of has come. Whatever the letter said, it's no concern of yours, Abe. Oh, I know that, Anne, but uh, it uh, it makes me sad to think that somebody could hurt you. And it appears to me that you've been crying. Well, if I did, it was only a little bit. I think quite a lot of you. You know, I always have, ever since I first came here and met you, Anne. Do you, Abe? Now, uh, I wouldn't mention it. Only uh, when you're distressed about something, it's a comfort sometimes to find a pair of ears to pour your troubles into. And Lord knows my ears are big enough to hold a lot. You're a Christian gentleman, Abe Lincoln. No, I ain't. I'm a plain common sucker with a shirt tail so short I can't sit on it. <laughs> well, sit down anyway, Abe. Here by me. Oh, that'd be a pleasure. You can always say something to make a person laugh, can't you? I don't have to say anything. person just has to look at me. <laughs> you were right about the letter, Abe. Mr. McNeil isn't coming back. I reckon you think I'm a silly fool for ever having promised myself to him. I think no such thing. Like to myself, wouldn't blame any girl for loving him. Oh, I guess I don't love him, Abe. Uh, I guess I couldn't love anybody who was as... as Faithless, is that? Well, then, there's nothing to fret about at all, is there? I don't believe you know much about females, Abe. Probably I don't, although I certainly spend enough time thinking about them. You're a big man, and you can lick anybody, and you can't understand the feelings of somebody who's weak. But I'm a female, and I can't help thinking what they'll be saying about me. All the old gossip. All over town. But would you let that disturb you? Well, I, I told you it's just weakness. It's vanity. Well, uh, I've got a kind of vanity myself. It's kept me from declaring my inclinations toward you. Toward me? See, uh, I don't like to be sniggered at either. I know what I am, I know what I look like, and I know that I've got nothing to offer any girl that I'd be in love with. Are you saying that you're in love with me, eh? Uh, yes, and I, uh, I am saying that. And I've been loving you a long, long time, man, and with all my heart. You're a fine girl, Anne. In every way, you got bravery, and you got sense, and you're powerful good to look at, too. But, um, I uh, don't mean to worry about it, Anne. I only mentioned it because... If uh, you would do me the honor of keeping company with me for a while, it 
might shut up the old gossips around this town, and they'd figure that you'd chuck McNeil for, uh, well, for someone else, even me. Oh, Abe. I thought I knew you pretty well, but I didn't. Well, why do you say that? Am I too forward? Oh, no, Abe. I I've always thought a lot of you the way I thought you were, but... The idea of love between you and me... Well, I'm not expecting you to feel anything like that for me. Oh, I know, Abe. You'd be willing to give everything you have and never expect anything in return. And I can tell you this much now, and truthfully. If I ever do love you, I'll be happy about it and lucky to be loving a good and decent and generous man. If you... Just give me time to think about it. You mean, if you took time, you might get in your heart something like the feeling I have for you? I do know, Abe, that you're a man who could fill anyone's heart and make it glad to be living. Abe, where are you going? I'm going to find Bowling Green and tell him a good joke. A joke? Yep. Going to tell him that I'm a candidate for the Assembly of the State of Illinois. <laughs> Evening, Bowling. Can I come in out of the storm? Why, come in, Josh. We haven't seen you in a dog's age. Well, good evening, Mr. Speed. What a nice surprise. Thank you, Mrs. Green, and uh, I beg you to forgive me for this untimely intrusion. Oh, we're delighted to see you. Take your wrap off. Thank you. I've just come down from Springfield. They told me Abe Lincoln was here. He's been sleeping here, up in the attic. But he's out now at the Rutledge farm, tending poor little Anne. Anne Rutledge? Yeah. What's the matter with her? She's been taken with the brain sickness. It's been the most shocking thing, Josh. Oh, people have been dying right and left with it, Mr. Speed. But Anne's young. She'll pull through, all right. Now sit down, Josh. Thank you. Well, I'm most awfully sorry to hear this about Anne. I suppose you know that Abe came rushing down from Vandalia the moment he heard she was taken. He's deeply in love with her. Now, Nancy, don't exaggerate. Oh, he's in love. I, I wondered what's been the matter with him lately. Has he any notion of marrying her soon? It's the only notion of his life right now. And the sooner they're married, the better for them both. Better for her, but worse for him. And why? Abe has places to go, Nancy. And pretty as she is, can only hinder him. Perhaps, but it wouldn't matter much if she could give him a little of the happiness he's never had. That's just it. I think as much of Abe as you do, Bowling. But we can't deny he's poor, that he's failed in trade and that he's been in the legislature a year without accomplishing a blessed thing. He could go to Springfield and set up a law practice. Make a good thing of it, too. Knows more Blackstone than most who are teaching it. He'd forget, Anne. He just happened to fasten on her because she was here. His idea of what's beautiful and unattainable. Let him attain her, and she'd break his heart. Do you agree with my husband, Mr. Speed? I can't say, Mrs. Green. He's the best friend I have in the world but I've abandoned the attempt to predict anything about Abe Lincoln. He can split rails, push a plow, crack jokes all day, and sit up all night reading Hamlet and brooding over his own fancied resemblance to the melancholy prince. He has great strength in his body, but in his mind, he's a hypochondriac. Maybe he's a great philosopher. Maybe he's a great fool. I don't know what he is. Well, maybe he is a problem, but he's also a man and a miserable one. 
And what do you do for his misery? Oh, you laugh at his jokes and you vote for him on election day and give him board and lodging when he needs it. But all that doesn't give a scrap of satisfaction to Abe's soul. Never will. Because the one thing he needs is a woman with the will to face life for him. He's afraid to face it himself? He is. Only a woman can free him. A woman who loves him and believes in him. Must be Abe, but it doesn't sound like him. Why, hello, Abe. Joshua Speed is here. Just came in from Springfield. Hello, Abe. Hello, Josh. I'm glad to see you. Nancy. Yes, Abe. She's dead. Oh. Anne? She's dead? Tonight. Her fever suddenly got worse, and they couldn't seem to do anything for it. I'm terribly sorry, Abe. Oh, Abe. We're all so sorry. She was such a dear little girl. Everyone who knew her will join in mourning for her. Yeah, I know they will, but it won't do any good. She's dead. Sit down, Abe, and rest yourself. No, I, uh... I better be going. I'm not uh, fit company for anyone. No, you don't. No, you don't. You'll stay right here. Yes, please sit down a little, Abe. Your bed's ready upstairs when you want it. Seems a poor way to reward you for what you've done for me, to come here tonight and inflict you with a corpse. This is your home, Abe. Yeah, I know. And I love you for it. But, Anne, I loved her more than everything else I've ever known. We know, Abe. I was always afraid of people. But then when when I saw her, I knew there could be beauty and, and purity in people. When I held her hand, all fear, all doubt went out of me. It, if she thought I could do something, then I knew that I could. And then I had to stand there. Like a twig in a whirlpool and watch her die. Her mother and father praying there for her while she died. I couldn't pray. I couldn't give any devotion to one who has the power of death and uses it. I can't stand it. I can't live with myself any longer. I've got to die and be with her again or I'll go crazy. I can't bear to think of her out there in this storm, alone. Abe, it's a special favor to the people who love you most in the world. Nancy and Josh and me. I want you to go upstairs now and lie down. Here's a light for you, dear Abe. All right. Thank you, Nancy. Good night. Poor Abe. Poor, lonely soul. And our first act ends. The first performance of Abe Lincoln in Illinois took place at the National Theater in Washington, D.C. on October 3, 1938. The play ran for nearly a year in New York with Raymond Massey in the leading role and won the Pulitzer Prize for that year. R. Lincoln is played by Carl Swenson, a leading radio actor who has been heard many times on the Ford Theater and in a great variety of parts. During the intermission now, we'll call upon Kenneth Banghart, who speaks for the Ford Motor Company. Mr. Banghart. One of the very pleasant things about a company with millions of friends is the daily mail. 
the letters which come from all over the country. Recently, the Ford Motor Company received a letter from Mr. C.L. Stone of Fayetteville, Tennessee. This is what he wrote. Gentlemen, I just wanted to prove to you that Ford cars last longer, too. I'll soon be 80 years old, having been born April 19th, 1868. I've lived in Lincoln County, Tennessee, all my life. During my lifetime, I've owned a Model T Ford, a Model A Ford Coupe, and my new 1947 Ford Coupe, shown in the enclosed photograph. The 1929 Model A, shown in the picture, was one of the first Model A's that came to Lincoln County. It was the only car I've owned since it was purchased in 1928. I don't know exactly how many miles I put on it, but I'm sure it was over 100,000 miles. My Model A has rendered many services, such as hauling feed from Fayetteville to my farm and is a family car for going to church on Sunday. I'm very proud of my new 1947 Ford. There were many times when I didn't think there was a Ford in my future, but my name finally came up on the list and I got my car. I'm 80 years old and this is probably the last car I'll buy. So I thought I'd like to send you my picture showing my old 1928 Model A, which I traded in on my new 1947 Ford. Finest car I ever owned. Respectfully yours, C.L. Charlie Stone, Route 5, Fayetteville, Tennessee. Thank you, Mr. Stone. We hope you'll be enjoying your Ford for many years to come. afternoon some five years after the preceding scene. Place, the law office of Stewart and Lincoln on the second floor of the courthouse in Springfield, Illinois. Billy Herndon, Stewart's clerk, is working at a table. He's young, sharp, smoldering, and dedicated to the belief that Abe Lincoln has a mission, a notion not shared by his hero. Abe, now just past 31, has lost all the marks of youth. He is moody, mature, and taciturn. And he is still poor. How to do, Mr. Lincoln? Glad to see you back, sir. Good day, Billy. How was it on the circuit, Mr. Lincoln? About as usual. Have you been keeping in good health? Not particularly. I hope you had a chance to make some political speeches. A couple of times, public arguments with Stephen Douglas. That's fine. What issues? Now, don't get excited, Billy. We weren't taking it serious. Yes? May we come in, Abe? Are we interrupting the majesty of the law? Bowling. Well, how are you, Bowling? Tolerably well and glad to see you, Abe. <laughs> Hello there, George. Hello, Abe. Uh, this is Billy Herndon, Squire Green in New Salem. I'm proud to know you, sir. Mr. Lincoln speaks of you constantly. Are you a lawyer too, Mr. Herndon? I hope to be, sir. Good. Well, Abe, tell me about yourself. Josh here says you're still broke, but a great social success. 
True, on both counts. <laughs> I am greatly in demand at all the more elegant functions. <laughs> you remember Ninian Edwards? Of course. I'm a guest at his mansion regularly. His wife is one of the Todd family from Kentucky. Very high-grade people, you know, Bowling, the Todds. They spell their name with two Ds. It's pretty impressive when you consider that one was enough for God. <laughs> <laughs> I have the writ prepared in the Wilcox case, Mr. Lincoln. I'll take it down to court now. All right, Billy. Squire Green, Mr. Lincoln regards you and Mr. Speed as the best friends he has on earth. I beg you, for heaven's sakes, to drag this man out of this stagnant pool in which he's rapidly drowning himself. Well, he... Uh, good day. Good Goodbye, day, Billy. Good day. Well, Bowling, how is that blessed wife of yours? Nancy's busier than ever, and concerned about you. In fact, she instructed me expressly to ask, what on earth is the matter with you, Abe? <laughs> well, you tell her that I am sound of skin and skeleton. But why don't we ever hear from you? Well, Josh can tell you I've been busy. What at? If old Tippecanoe wins next fall, Abe will be a member of the Electoral College. Electoral College? Is that the best you can do? Mm-hmm. For the time being, the law takes a little time, you know. Here back east, they're powerful worried about the annexation of Texas. They have reason to be. It'd mean slavery all through the territories and clear out to Oregon and California. That'd give the South absolute rule of the country. And the Lord help the rest of us in the free states. It's got the seeds of civil war, Abe. Well, if so, it'll be the abolitionist's own fault. Ought to be locked up for disturbing the peace. All of them. Why, Abe, I thought you were opposed to slavery. And so I am, but I'm even more opposed to war. I'm not a fighting man. Peaceable men have sometimes been of service to their country. Perhaps. Suppose I did get elected to Congress. One day I might have to cast my vote on the terrible issue of war or peace. No, sir. Not for me. Maybe you'll be able to go on to the end of your days avoiding the clutch of your own conscience, but I doubt it. Bowling, I'm not pretending with you or with you, Josh. Well, you talk about civil war. Well, there seems to be one going on inside me all the time. Both sides are right and both are wrong and equal in strength. I'd like to be able to rise superior to the struggle. It says in the Bible that a house divided against itself cannot stand. So I reckon there's not much hope. One of these days, I'll just Split asunder and part company with myself, and it'll be good riddance from both points of view. Why, Ninian Edwards. Oh, come right in, Ninian. Hello, Abe. Hello, Josh. And my good friend, Squire Green. Welcome to Springfield, sir. Thank you, Mr. Edwards. I just called in, Abe, to tell you and Josh you're to dine with us this evening. And you too, Squire. Mrs. Edwards would be honored if your engagements would permit. Delighted. We're <laughs> proudly exhibiting my sister-in-law, Miss Mary Todd of Kentucky. Very gay young lady, speaks French, recites poetry, and knows the names and habits of all the flowers. Steve Douglas is going to be there, so you boys better get in early. My compliments to Mrs. Edwards, but my own poor wife awaits me impatiently. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I applaud your motive, Squire. You'll be along presently, Abe? I wouldn't be surprised. Good. You'll meet a delightful young lady, but I'd better warn you, she's here on a survey of the matrimonial field. Told me herself she's going to take the one who promises the most. So be on your guard, Abe, unless you're prepared to lose your standing as a free man. I thank you for the warning, Ian. Good day, Squire. Good day. See you later, John. Good day. Hey. 
I wish I could be there to hear you carrying on the flirtation in French, Abe. Yes, I'll <laughs> let you know what happens, Judge. Abe Lincoln, the flatboat cavalier. Well, clean your boots, Abe, and get some lace on your cuffs. You're going to learn the minuet. <laughs> <laughs> believe it, Ninian. It's an outrageous reflection on my sister's good sense. Hasn't it struck you, though, Elizabeth, that Mary may see more in Abe Lincoln than you do? No, it hasn't, and it isn't going to. Mr. Lincoln's chief virtue is that he hides no part of his simple soul from anyone. And what in the world is the matter with that, please? Nothing. I'm not running him down. But Ninian, as a husband, and especially the husband of a high-bred, high-spirited young lady, he just won't do. Elizabeth? Prepare yourself for a very rude shock. You think Abe Lincoln would be overjoyed to capture an elegant, cultivated girl, daughter of the president of the Bank of Kentucky? Well, of course I do. Any man would. <laughs> Especially out here where it isn't even civilized yet. My dear Elizabeth, you have never been more mistaken in your life. What are you two talking about? I'm married. Uh... I, I was telling your sister about the new song the boys are singing for Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. I compliment you for quick thinking, Ninian. But you were talking about me, now, weren't you? Yes, Mary, we were. And quite seriously, I gather. I am afraid that our dear Elizabeth has become unduly alarmed. Let me say what I have to say, Ninian. Mary, you must tell me the truth. Are you... Have you ever given one moment serious thought to the possibility of marriage with Abraham Lincoln? I shall answer you, Elizabeth. I have given more than one moment's thought to the possibility you mentioned... And I have decided that I shall be Mrs. Lincoln. Mary. I told you so. I have examined carefully the qualifications of all the young gentlemen in this neighborhood, and some of the older ones as well. Those of Mr. Lincoln seem to me superior to all others, and he is my choice. Do you expect me to congratulate you upon this amazing selection? No, and no condolences either. Then I shall offer none. Uh, <clears throat> forgive me for prying, Mary, but... Have you as yet communicated your decision to the gentleman himself? Not yet, but he is coming to call this evening, and he will ask humbly for my hand in marriage. And after I have displayed the proper amount of surprise and confusion, I shall murmur timidly, yes. You see, Elizabeth, I feel that of all the men I've ever known, he is the one whose life and destiny I want most to share. But look at his breeding, his background, it, his manner, his whole point of view. I have no craving for comfort and security. I'm very different from you, Elizabeth. But have you a craving for the kind of life you will lead if you marry this man? A miserable cabin without even a servant? And not a stitch of clothing that's fit for exhibition in decent society? How far do you think you'll go with Abe Lincoln? Shiftless, lazy scarecrow stopping in the road to tell jokes. I am strong. I can make him go where he should I know what you expect of me to do as you have done. Marry a man like Ninian. But with all due respect to you, Ninian, I won't have that, and I won't have it never. You live in a house with a fence around it to keep the common herd from getting in. In Abraham Lincoln, I see a man who has spit rails for other men's fences, but who will never build one around himself. Mr. Lincoln, ma'am. Come in, Mr. Lincoln. Do sit down. Thank you, Miss Todd. I will. 
that letter's all right, Josh? No, I do not, Abe, and you mustn't send it to Miss Todd. It's cowardly and it's cruel. Well, did I, uh... Did I state it too crudely? No, I have no quarrel with your choice of words, eh? But your mm. method. You're supposed to be married at 6 o'clock this evening. The champagne chilling on the ice right now. The whole Edwards house is decorated. Some of the guests have come from as far as Kentucky. You can't get rid of Mary Todd on a wedding day by sending me over to Ninian's house with a letter. It's heartless and brutal and, and, and thoroughly unworthy. This letter isn't written to Mary Todd. It's written to yourself. As a salve for your own conscience. Do I understand that you will not deliver this letter for me? No, Abe, I will not. Well, then someone else will. Yes, you would give it to the minister. Have him read it to her instead of the marriage ceremony. Josh, haven't you got eyes in your head? Can't you see I'm desperate? I surely can. And I think you're sicker than you may realize. Your mind is disturbed. I have got to have my release from Mary Todd. I can't go through with it. I just can't do it. Oh, Billy... Happy New Year! Same to you, Billy. Mr. Lincoln, I beg leave... You've been drinking, Billy. That I have. Nonetheless, I beg leave to drink to your health and to that of the lady who will become your wife. I doubt if Miss Todd and I will ever get along well together, but I'm convinced that our aim's for you are the same. I know she's ambitious for you, and I say... God bless her and give her strength. You had all of that bottle today? Yes, I have. Well, why not, Abe? It's New Year's Day. Thank you, Mr. Speed. Thank you for the defense. One more toast. To the President of the United States and Mrs. Lincoln. I think we can do without any more toast, Billy. <laughs> Don't worry about me at the wedding. I'll be on my best behavior. There isn't going to be any wedding. I have a letter I want you to deliver to Miss Todd. What letter? What is it? Josh, give it to him. What are you doing at that stove, Josh? You had no right to burn that letter up. I know I hadn't, but it's done. Billy, in that letter, Mr. Lincoln asked Miss Todd to release him, saying that their marriage could only lead to endless pain and misery for them both. Well, if that isn't the truth, then what is? I'm not discussing the truth of it. I'm only asking you to tell her so to her face in the manner of a man. That is even crueler. If I went over, I'd blurt it all out. I'd have to tell her the hatred I have for her infernal ambition. That I don't want to be and won't be ridden and driven. Her whip lashing me, her spurs digging into me. She craves importance in life. Let her marry Stephen Douglas. He's ambitious, too. All I want is peace and to be left alone. Very well, then. Tell her all that. But you... All right, Josh. I'll go up now, and I'll talk to Mary. And then I'm going away. I will not see Abe Lincoln again. But, Miss Todd, it's been almost a year since he broke off with you. On what was to have been our wedding day. I know that, but Abe was sick. In mind and in body, Miss Todd. He's well now, and he wants very much to see you. There he is now. No. Wait. Yes, in one minute. Thank you, Miss Todd. Mr. Lincoln, Miss Mary. Tell Mr. Lincoln he may come in. Thank you, Mary. 
You may well wonder why I have thrust myself on your mercy in this manner. I'm sure you're always welcome in Ninian's house. After my behavior at our last meeting here, I haven't been welcome company for myself. You've been through a severe illness. Joshua Speed has told us of it. But with your health restored, no doubt you'll be running for the assembly again. Or perhaps you have larger plans. I have no plans, Mary. Oh, I suppose it is too early. I wish to tell you that I am sorry for the things that I said on that unhappy occasion which was to have been our wedding day. You need not say anything about that, Mr. Lincoln. Whatever happened, I consider my own fault. Your fault? It was my own miserable cowardice. No, I was blinded by my own self-confidence. I, I loved you, and I believed I could make you love me. I knew you had strength, but I did not know that you would use it, all of it, to resist your own magnificent destiny. It is true, Mary, you once had faith in me, which I was far from deserving. But the time has come at last when I wish to recover it. When I behaved so shamefully, I thought our ways were separate. And I have come to the conclusion that I was wrong. I believe our destinies are together, Mary, for better or for worse. And I again presume to ask you to be my wife. I fully realize that taking me back now would involve humiliation for you. I am not afraid of humiliation. If I know it will be wiped out in ultimate triumph. What was it brought you this change of heart? Well, uh, when I left you, I went off by myself for many days. On the prairie, I met an old friend by chance who was moving west in a covered wagon with his family. He asked me to go. I was strongly tempted. But then, I knew it was not my direction. The way I must go is the way that you wanted me to go. You will promise never again to falter or turn to run away? I promise, Mary. If you will have me, I shall devote myself for the rest of my days to trying to do what is right, as God gives me the power to see what is right. Very well, then. I shall be your wife. I shall fight by your side till death do us part. Oh, Abe, I love you so. Oh, I love you. Whatever becomes of the two of us, I'll die loving you. Second act. Mary Todd Lincoln will become more and more important in our story this week and next. As Carl Sandburg describes her, at this time she was plump, swift, beaming, with ready answers slipping from a sharp tongue. She had her gifts a smooth, soft skin, soft brown hair, and flashing, clear blue eyes. Though her tongue and its sarcasm that came so quickly and so often, brought dislikes and hates, there was a shine and a bubbling, a foaming over of vitality that won friends. Before Act Three launches Lincoln into the midst of the great political conflict of the time, a word from Kenneth Banghart speaking for the Ford Motor Company. One of the phrases which is currently popular is, on the beam. You may use it yourself. But you'd probably have to think a moment before you realize that the expression comes from aviation, 
from the radio beam, which guides most airplanes in their flight across continents and oceans through all kinds of weather. And you probably do not know that this greatest of all aids to navigation was invented, developed, and patented by the Ford Motor Company. It was just 21 years ago this week that the Ford radio range system was proven. On February the 10th, 1927, a Ford plane made a daring flight through a snowstorm from Durban to Dayton, Ohio, and back again, following the dots and dashes of the radio beam. That system is in use all over the world today, and it has guided untold thousands of planes through darkness and storm to safety. Basic patents on this invention were issued to the Ford Motor Company, but it has never received a penny's royalty on them. In the interest of safe air travel, Ford made the patents available to the whole air transport industry without charge. This is just one of many Ford firsts. And while this particular invention has nothing to do with automobiles, it demonstrates the engineering knowledge, imagination, and ability which has made the Ford Motor Company famous. That's the kind of engineering that has made Ford cars the standards by which other cars are judged. In the past 45 years, Americans have come to depend on Ford to be first with the best, have come to expect Ford products to be fine products. And the Ford Motor Company lives up to that responsibility. The experience of three generations has proven that Ford products are first. First in engineering, first in designing, first in value. First choice of eight million Americans. And so the years passed, and, always a little reluctantly, the Springfield lawyer began to seek and to win a wider influence. Elected to Congress in 1846, he attracted some attention in speeches opposed to the war with Mexico, but he soon lapsed again into obscurity. Then, in 1858, his debates with Stephen Douglas brought him into real national prominence as a spokesman for the nation's anti-slavery forces. Douglas was elected to the Senate, but people began to talk about Abe Lincoln as a man who might reasonably aspire to an even higher office. As our third act begins, it is early in the year 1860. Josh Speed is visiting the Lincolns in their Springfield home. Abe, you'll have to speak to Robert about smoking in the parlor. Ever since he's come home from Harvard, he's been smoking that vile pulp all over the house. Yes, Mary, I'll speak to him. Almost supper time, isn't it? Yes, it's half past four. Half past four? Those men will be here any minute, Abe. Good Lord. What men, Joshua? Some men from the East. One of them's a political leader named Crimin. And uh, there's a Mr. Sturvison, a manufacturer. Henry D. Sturvison? Yes, that's the one. And uh, Reverend Dr. Barrick from Boston. Abe Lincoln, what are they coming here for? Oh, I don't precisely know. I suspect it is to see if I'm fit to be a candidate for President of the United States. And you didn't tell me. Well, I'm sorry, Mary. The matter just slipped my mind. Just slipped your mind. When we're having the most important guests that ever crossed the threshold of my house. Well, they aren't guests, Mary. They're here on business. Yes, a rather important business, it seems to me. And they want to see us as we are. Crude, sloppy, vulgar Western barbarians living in a house that reeks of foul tobacco smoke. We can explain about having a son at Harvard. If I'd only known. 
Why didn't you put on your best suit and those filthy old boots? Mary, I just clean forgot. You have never for one minute stopped to think that perhaps I have some interest, some concerns in this life we live together. Well, I'll try to clean up my boots a little, Mary. <sighs> You've seen it all, Joshua Speed. Every bit of it. A courtship, if you could call it that. Change of heart, change back again. Marriage, 18 years of it. And you probably think, just as all the others do, that I'm a bitter, nagging woman. Oh, no, Mary, no such thing. There never could have been another man such as he. He's never had an enemy, and every one of his friends has always been completely confident in him, all but himself. All these years, I've tried and tried to stir him out of it. But all my efforts have been like so many puny waves dashing against the rock of ages. And now, Opportunity, the greatest of his whole lifetime, is coming right into his own house. But what can I do about it? He must take it. He must see that this is what he was meant for. But I can't persuade him. And I'm tired, Joshua. I'm tired to death. I've succeeded in nothing but breaking myself. I know, Mary, but there's no reason on earth for you to reproach yourself. I think they look all right now, Mary. They're... Oh, I guess they're here now. You can receive the gentlemen in here. I'll try to prepare some refreshments for them in the dining room. Come along, Joshua. Mr. Lincoln. Come in, gentlemen. Hello, Mr. Creeman. How do you do? This is Dr. Barrick of Boston, Mr. Sturvis in Philadelphia. Mr. Lincoln. I'm honored, Mr. Lincoln. Thank you, sir. Uh, pray sit down, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Will, uh, <clears throat> will Mrs. Lincoln object if I light a cigar? No, no, not at all. You go right ahead. Good, thank you. You'll forgive us, Mr. Lincoln, for coming directly to the point. Yes, indeed. You want to uh, inspect the prairie politician in his native lair. And here I am. We need a candidate, Mr. Lincoln, clever enough to skate over the thin ice of the forthcoming campaign. Your friends believe you're the man. We hope they're right. We want a conservative. Well, Mr. Sturvison, when I first took office 25 years ago in New Salem, I assured my sponsors of my conservatism, and I have subsequently proved it by never progressing anywhere. Then you agree you are the man we want. I'd like to say so, sir, but I uh, understand that Mr. Seward is also ready and willing. Well, that's as may be. Now, please understand, we merely wish to know you better, sir. For example, in your notable debates with Stephen Douglas, you answered some of his demagoguery, and quite shrewdly, I thought, by telling him that whereas the slaves in the South... I remember the occasion. I said I was thankful that laborers in the free states have the right to strike. But it wasn't shrewdness, Mr. Stevenson. It was just the truth. It has gathered the support of the laboring classes... But it has caused alarm among businessmen like myself. It seems to me that this nation was founded on the supposition that men have the right to protest against injustice or oppression. True, but to be specific, the railroads of this country were all built by private enterprise. We must have a free hand and a firm one. Oh. Would you, if elected, place the interests of labor above those of capital? 
I cannot tell what I should do if elected. But you must have inclination. I am opposed to slavery. We in New England deplore the inhumanity of our southern friends. Reverend, there are more forms of slavery than that which is inflicted upon the Negro in the South. And I am opposed to all of them. I believe in our democratic system, for it gives hope to all. An honest chance for the improvement of the condition of employee and employer alike. Mr. Lincoln, I am anxious to know whether you admit one authority to whom devotion is unquestioned. I uh, presume that you refer to the Almighty? I do. Well, there is no doubt of my submission to his will. But there is much doubt as to your devotion to his church. I can promise you, Reverend that I shall gladly join any church at any time if its sole qualifications for membership is obedience to the Savior's statement of law and gospel. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Hmm. But, gentlemen, <clears throat> I beg you to excuse me. I believe Mrs. Lincoln is preparing a slight collation, and I must see if I can help. Why, <clears throat> certainly, Mr. Lincoln. The man's an infant. And a radical. Forgive me if I enjoy a quiet laugh on that. Enjoy your laugh, Tremont. But I didn't like the way he evaded my direct question. He's a demagogue and a rabble-rouser. Of course he is. As a dealer in humbug, he put Barnum to shame. He isn't safe, Clement. Safe? What do you mean by that? There's only one qualification we demand of our candidate, and it's simply this. That he be able to get himself elected. And there's the man who can do it. Uh, I should like to believe you. So say we all. Just you keep your faith in this uncouth rail splitter. He's one of the smoothest, slickest politicians that ever hoodwinked a yokel mob. You complain that he evaded your question. Sure he did, and did it perfectly. Ask him about labor-employer relations, he says. I believe in democracy. Ask him about religion. Love thy neighbor. <laughs> now, you know you can't argue with that. He'll play the game with us from here on, and once in the White House, he'll do just what we tell him. Uh, careful, Clement. <clears throat> if you gentlemen will uh, step this way to the dining room, uh, Mrs. Lincoln has prepared a cup of tea. Well, thank, thank, you. thank you. Most gracious of her. And there's something stronger for those who prefer it. Oh, uh, <clears throat> is there a fireplace where I can throw this cigar, Mr. Lincoln? Oh, by no means. Uh, bring your cigar with you, Mr. Crimin. <laughs> Douglas, 117,000 votes. Lincoln, 106. He's winning from you in New York, Dave. Not yet, Mary. Those city returns where Douglas is sure to be stronger. Maryland is going all for Breckenridge and Bell. Abe, you're just nowhere in Maryland. Well, I'm used to that. Never have been anywhere in Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... I see the New York Herald says that I have the soul of Uriah Heap encased in the body of a baboon. Well, what about Pennsylvania, Ninian? Oh, Abe's safe in Pennsylvania, Mary. In fact, you needn't worry at all. You've been saying that all evening. No need to worry. But how can we help worrying when every new bulletin shows Douglas ahead? Because every bulletin shows Abe gaining. Just give them time to count all the votes from New York, and you'll be on your way to the White House. Oh, why don't they hurry? Why don't those returns come in? They'll be in soon enough. I can't stand it any 
longer. I agree, Mary. I think you better go home now. I'll be back before long. I won't go home. I think you should, Mary. Anything to get me out of sight. You only want to get rid of me. That's what you've wanted ever since the day we were married. And even before that. Mary. Because you hate me. And all your friends, too. They all wish I'd never come into your life. No, Mary. Ninian, Robert, Josh, Billy. You all please step out. I wish to speak to my wife alone. Certainly, Abby. Yes. Damn you. Damn you for taking every opportunity you can to make a public fool of me. And yourself. It's bad enough, the Lord knows, when you act this way in the privacy of our own home, which you always refer to as my house. But here, in front of people, you are not to do that again. You hear me? You are never to do that again. Abe, you... You cursed at me. You cursed at me. I lost my temper, Mary, and I'm sorry for it. But I still think you should go home. But, Abe, this is the night I've dreamed of my whole life. Bob? Yes, Father? Take your mother home. Oh, do I have to? Yes. And you stay with her until I get there. Abe, can I get you a cup of coffee? Uh, no thanks, Josh. Getting nervous, Abe? No. I am thinking what a blow it would be to Mrs. Lincoln if I should lose. Abe, listen to this. Hmm? At 10.30 tonight, the New York Herald conceded that Mr. Lincoln has carried the state of New York by majority of 25,000 and has won the election. I congratulate you, Abe. I knew it was going to happen. So did I, from the very beginning. Well, thank you, Josh. And thank you, Mr. Kramen. Thank you all for your faith in me. They're going crazy downstairs and all over the city. All over the country, you mean? Why don't you step out and let them see you, Abe? No, I'm too tired. I guess I'll just go home and tell Mary. Out of the wilderness, out of the wilderness, old Abe Lincoln came out of the wilderness down in I'm a little nervous, Captain Kavanaugh. I admit it, Major. For three months, night and day, I've been guarding the life of a man who doesn't give a hang what happens to him. In Richmond, they're betting two to one Mr. Lincoln won't be alive to take the oath of office. Well, we're in charge, and I'd like to take some of that money. Stand back there. Stand back, all of you. Better get on board right away, Mr. President. That's all right, Captain Kavanaugh. They're all old friends of mine. My friends and neighbors, no one not in my situation can appreciate my feelings of sadness at this parting. To this place and the kindness of you people, I owe everything. I have lived here a quarter of a century and passed from a young to an old man. Here my children have been born and one is buried. I now leave not knowing when or whether ever I may return. I am called upon to assume the presidency at a time when 11 of our sovereign states have announced their intention to secede from the Union. 
It is a grave duty. In preparing for it, I have tried to inquire what great principle is it that has kept this union so long together? We gained democracy, and now there is the question whether it is fit to survive. Perhaps we have come to the dreadful day of awakening, and the dream is ended. Let us believe that this is not true. I commend you to the care of the Almighty, as I hope that in your prayers you will remember me. Goodbye, my friends and neighbors. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, Mr. Lincoln. Good luck. God bless you forever, Mr. Lincoln. We trust you, Mr. Lincoln. yet dry on some faces when the train had faded into the gray to the east. Some of the crowd said afterward that Lincoln, too, was in tears, that tears ran down his face as he spoke that morning. And one of the crowd said there were no tears on Lincoln's face. But he had a face with dry tears, said this one. He was a man who often had dry tears. Next Sunday... We take up the story where it ended today. Next Sunday, Abe Lincoln in Washington. Written for the Ford Theater by Robert E. Sherwood. Abe Lincoln in Illinois was adapted by Max Wiley. Edited by Howard Teichman with continuity by George Faulkner. The original music was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray and the entire production was under the direction of George Zachary. Carl Swenson was heard as Abe Lincoln, Muriel Kirkland as Mary Todd, Jean Gillespie as Ann Rutledge, Eric Dressler as Josh Speed, and Michael Fitzmaurice as Ninian Edwards. The other players were Cliff Carpenter, Stotts Cotsworth, Richard Gordon, Irene Hubbard, Ed Jerome, Ginger Jones, Gary Merrill, Ted Osborne, Cameron Prudhomme, and Philip Wolfe. The song heard at the opening of the program was an excerpt from The Lonesome Train by Millard Lampell and Earl Robinson. Next week, Abe Lincoln in Washington. The Ford Theater is presented by the Ford Motor Company, makers of Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln cars, and Ford trucks, farm tractors, and motor coaches.
is NBC, the national broadcasting company.